You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. Thank you for logging on to or into Thank You for Your Servers. I am Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. And joining me as always is Gary Guthrie. How you doing, my brand? I'm over here on the left coast. We're recovering from a uh, power outage last night and a nice rainstorm. So uh, doing all right. Well, thank God that you didn't descend into the zombie apocalypse with your your rolling blackouts and brownouts. I, I, almost, I almost had to eat my dog, but... Um, uh, hey, you just had to just bought the re- puppy. Why would you eat the puppy? Yeah, well, you know, he's cute, but uh, you know, at some point they start looking tasty. So yeah, you do what you gotta do. <laughs> so this is our weekly rant into the tech topics of the week from a liberty perspective. This and other podcasts are brought to you by the Make Liberty Great Again Network of Podcasts. And so with that introduction out of the way, let's get into it. Coronavirus update. You know, the fear is spreading and people are taking precautions. So uh, one of the areas that will be greatly affected or negatively affected going forward will possibly be smartphone and LCD panel production. Um, It's going, um, you know, 70% of the panels that are produced for smartphones um, worldwide um, are produced in China. Uh, A disruption in the supply chain would definitely cause issues. Um, leading LCD and OLED panel manufacturers in the country have stated they believe that the total capacity utilization of the LCD fabs could be reduced by 10%. Um, uh, that number could increase to more than 20% during February because they've been shut down longer than usual for the lunar holiday because of this. Um, so we're going to expect like acute shortages of just these are just LCD modules and panels now. There are other aspects of the smartphone and are of our modern tech, microcontrollers, memory chips, and et cetera, that could definitely be um, affected um, because a lot of uh, third-party suppliers source from China or do a lot of um, their first-order assembly in China. And the fact that they've had a, you know, a difficult time um, getting everybody back to work, um, it, it could be detrimental to supply chains going forward. Um, Mobile World Congress, which is going to be taking place here at the end of the month, um, on the 20, starting on the 24th, uh, LG and ZTE have already canceled some plans for the show. So they're actually curbing back um, their participation. I just read that Amazon's out. Um, uh, and so it looks like Mobile World Congress might not be the barn burner for the uh, mobile phone industry that it typically is because people are just kind of opting for Skype. They're opting to just send smaller delegations. Um, this was supposed to be a pretty good coming out party for some of the Chinese uh, makers, uh, Xiaomi, Vivo, Honor, not to mention Huawei and the others. 
but with the fact that there have been great restrictions placed on you know flights from China going into Europe, um, I think I think there's still most carriers in Europe and the United States have canceled all flights going in and out of right. China in particular. Right. That's that's still in effect, relatively speaking, and so that's that that's just one effect that this is having. Um, when it comes to just yeah, this is this has been crazy, and while we're told not to worry too much about it, and for the most part we're not right. I mean, China has one point four billion people, and the fact right. that they had maybe nine hundred fatalities, while tragic. Isn't necessarily bad. Um, you, you have to look at the aggregate. Yeah, aggregate, numbers. and you have to put it in perspective. More people die in the continental United States of the flu than have died of this. They so have long. died already this it, year. It, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. A so. lot of people have died. And so that said, um, this it's very it's it's good that they're taking these precautions. But the question is, how long can China be in this kind of quarantine? wartime footing so one of the articles i read from ars technica basically kind of breaks down what's going on there have been dra draconian travel restrictions uh, uh and uh, shutdowns of public transit they've 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 literally effectively isolated uh people in wuhan um 11 million people they basically isolated them in the in the Hubei province of 50 million residents have, have been greatly curtailed in their ability to move back and forth um, and they're going house to house, door to door. Ugh. Um, we've probably seen some of the videos, some some of these on Twitter and other social media. We need to put these things in context. But I mean, this doesn't do well for the already growing sinophobia that existed when we started our trade war. It already uh, isn't isn't going to bode well for five G deployment, for smartphone deployment for yeah. microcontroller deployment, you know, deployments. I mean, there's lots of companies that they're going to be building these chipsets that we need for our AI, for our devices. Um, and there are, you know, granted, some of the tariff restrictions have been lowered um, and reciprocated on the Chinese side um, when we signed this kind of tentative trade deal that we have with them. But this is just another gut punch to you know, Trans-Pacific trade, um, it adds to the Sinophobia, which I, I've, which I've been, uh, I've been kind of railing against for the past year and a half. Dealing, particularly when it came yeah, to this trade it, war. Um, it's just, I, I think you know, culturally, we 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 attach so much meaning to one thing that we lose track of the context, and we we lose the ability as a as a society to really understand, okay, you know what? Let's put this all in context. Let's put this all in numbers that we can understand and realize that the, the danger, the impact is not anywhere near what the hype or the hysteria is trying to tell us it is. Yeah. No, I, and I hope we are betters, right? Our, our, hopefully our lizard brain doesn't take over and we get <laughs> crazy, right? Um, right. Not, that's not to say that like we shouldn't take precautions. We should. I mean, there's a there's absolutely a physical 
element to this thing. But again, what is the, you know, it goes back to a basic risk assessment. You know, what is the likelihood and what is the impact? Let's take these things and really think about them logically and not jump the gun and say, okay, you know, you know, it's always kind of bugged me. I get it. You know, okay, we're canceling all flights to China. Well, China's a big country. Yes. With a lot of people. (laughs) With a lot of people who don't and won't ever even come into contact with this virus, you know? Yeah. So, you know, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit and really try to take a logical approach it's it's hard. I get it. It's it's tough because you do have to take precautions. And there is as much as we hate to admit it, a a PR element to the whole equation, right? And, and there is um, unfortunately a role for the state, right? Um There it, is. Yeah. yeah, this is one of these things where this is an edge case. Now granted, could it, would there be a better free market alternative to this. Yeah. We haven't thought of it yet. We are, you know, our lizard brain takes over when pandemics come, right? I traveled during the Ebola scare to West Africa. Oh, I'm not you. dead. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. We, I was yeah. convinced I was going to die from Ebola with all the news reports. And we had, how many Americans died from that? I don't even remember. Was it eight? I don't think it was that many. I think the one guy wasn't even American. I mean, he, he just was, he just, he was just living in Texas. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> it, it, it was not, no, it, you know, it he had just come back from overseas. It wasn't that bad. Um, you know, and it was bad in West Africa, which it typically always is. The dirty little secret is it was a major Ebola outbreak toward the end of last year in West Africa that killed thousands of people that we didn't hear about it. Right, because you know the um, the hysteria had ab- had abated, um, and so yeah, it's let's all keep it in perspective. The only not to be a selfish, not to be a selfish, you know, Westerner with first world problems, but I am kind of upset. Like if my Raspberry Pis and the other things I'm wanting to buy in the next six months become cost prohibitive because the supply chain is greatly disrupted i'm gonna be upset yeah <laughs> right yep. no i get it i get it um, so all right well anyway everybody be cool let's stay cautious just keep an eye on this and let's see what continuing effects this has on the tech industry as a whole um and hopefully it ends soon next topic google slash alphabet boom alphabet announced Q4 2019 earnings of $46.075 billion in revenue. Now, normally wow. we, won't, we wouldn't like report on like, you know, revenues for a tech company because that stuff is boring. This revenue, um, this, this kind of uh, announcement about their earnings is different because for the first time, I'm thinking ever, they broke out YouTube revenue. And Google mm. Cloud Services revenue, mm. and and even they broke out DeepMind revenue. Well, there is no revenue with DeepMind; they're still losing money with DeepMind. Um, but that's beside the point. You know, this is part of um, Sindar Pichai's like 
push once he's now that he's the CEO of Alphabet to be a little bit more transparent, right? To, to open the kimono a bit on Google's revenues. So, what is YouTube actually making revenue wise? Well, if one is to extrapolate, and I've not gotten a per quarter basis, but if one is to extrapolate from last year's earnings versus the year before's earnings, 15.15 billion a year in revenue from YouTube alone. And Google's uh, cloud, uh, Google Cloud Services, 2.61 billion for the, for the quarter. Mm. Um, that's pretty significant. Um, it still doesn't make it, um, really the, 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 the big gorilla is Amazon. Um, Amazon's still massive. Um, and so Google and, uh, Microsoft are duking it out for the most part. I think Microsoft has this slight advantage. Um, this is, this is very new, right? I mean, uh, it, it, it's a company as it is now that it is a part of the trillion dollar club, uh, uh, of market capitalization. Um, you know, they're starting to be a little bit more, they're becoming more, dare I say, blue chip. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, is it blue chip to the point where, like, well, they're not paying dividends on, on you know, class B or C shares or anything like that. Um, but, I mean, they're making pretty strong revenues. Um, they're yeah. making $160 billion a year. <laughs> um and they're 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 they are, are also killing it um let me see i guess uh google other revenues which include hardware play store and non-advertising youtube revenues see it, it's still they still kind of clump them together but they're uh and they're now excluding cloud um they made 5.26 billion so like the pixel um nest um, Pixel Pros, Nest Wi-Fi, and I think Stadia is also in that and stuff. There are others. I know they, what, what was the one? Uh, Google Fiber um, made a little bit of money, increased revenues a little bit. Um, they're getting rid of the, um, the ca their cable bundle and now just bundling in YouTube TV, which is actually really good. Have you, I've been, have you used or known anyone to use YouTube TV? I haven't used YouTube TV. I use the uh, YouTube. I, I don't. Is it still called Red, or is no. it just <laughs> no? It's not. Yeah. No longer called YouTube RedTube. No, it's called okay. YouTube Premium. <laughs> okay, well, that's the one I use. That's the one I use as well. Um, <laughs> I don't. My, I don't stay on top of the names, but um, that's no, I haven't used stop. YouTube TV. No. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. particularly if you have Chromecasts. So it's which really, I do. Yeah, it's really well done. Um, I'm not ready quite yet to start spending forty five to fifty bucks a month, but it. Yeah. It, no. you know, but I do like sports with guests. I do like the ability. I, I would like to give the ability to my 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 wife and kids to like just watch TV, but they're pretty good at watching videos on Facebook, YouTube. Air, uh, you know, um, what is it? Uh, airplane, um, watching YouTube, watching uh, CBS All Access, which is something I uh, I buy. Um, there's obviously I rent movies on YouTube. We have Amazon Prime. Um, we have Hulu. 
Um, so generally speaking, I mean, we have a pretty much a cable bundle, except it's, you know, 45 bucks a month for, uh, scattered across like four or five desperate services. Uh, and you and you and you've been able to engineer that to your own needs and wants. Yeah. Which is you're not kind of what in. we isn't that what we wanted. It's funny, right? Because now there's a, there's a desire to because there's so much fragmentation. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Disney Plus. Um, there's so much fragmentation that now we want the bundles back and so it's, yeah <laughs> because it's it well easy. and we talked about this several episodes back is this whole weird move from cable bundles off onto this fragmented kind of market yeah and then and that, how it's kind of coming back together now it, it's really kind of bizarre and, yeah. and, and and what's strange to me is how fast it's happening too and you yeah. know how fast people can adjust to this weird paradigm shift indeed it's kind of like it's it's the it's the tim Wu theory right i mean you get this disaggregation and then basically reconsolidation and that's what we have yep um and so you know that said google firing on all cylinders cleaning house of the social justice warriors making money opening a kimono so we can see what actually is making money and what actually is losing money um, and part of the maturity of moving from a quirky little startup, which is, is it, it's not a startup. Like Google's almost 20 years old, right? <laughs> I, think, I think it is. I don't know. In a lot of ways, they still behave like a startup. It's, yeah, it's they, kind of a really weird, um, you know, and, and you talk the, blue chip and, and, and stuff. It, I don't know of, that yeah. I'm willing to call it that, you know? Yeah. Because of their other bets, because they're losing money on, um, deep because, they're doing Google Fiber. They're doing Waymo, um, and uh, what is what is the other thing I saw about them the other day that that was uh, strange, strange but like cool. Ah, God, I had it for a second. I don't know. Um, yeah, this makes for terrible podcasting. But all <laughs> all, all in all, like uh, yeah, Google's you know. A, a pretty mature company. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Google Maps is 15 years old. Okay. That's it. Right on. <laughs> it made it. And it's funny. I saw a problematic story. Again, a story that finds the rise of Google Maps and problematic as it becomes pretty pervasive and how that directly ties um what is it incoherently to clearview ai facial recognition stuff is this like what do you talk this kind of this thing we talked about in the pre-show where it's just like they always want to find the negative in the story where like 10 years ago they would be like yeah new features in google maps sweet yeah when turn by turn navigation was like a thing that put it pretty put pretty much put tom tom under the ground when they released that with their Android enabled phones mm-hmm. and how useful as a mega app Google maps is how important it is, how it gives you information like, Hey, I should probably go to this place because typically at this six to eight, six through eight, it has higher than uh, average volume and um, um, traffic. So I should go now or I can call <laughs> Or I can send a message. Did, and did like, you see though? The, did you see though that guy in Germany, the artist? That, yes. Isn't you that, saw that story? 
about him. So, so wait, let's make sure that we're talking about the same story. He put a bunch so, of uh, Android yeah, phones put, in a 99 Android phones in a red little red wagon, turned them he, all on to Google Maps and towed them so, by hand and caused in town. And it caused it, it gave the appearance that there was traffic jams. And yes. so it was a hack. That was the is as, as annoying as that may be for us. That is the oh, coolest hack. Oh, that guy's my hack. hero. That is the coolest hack I've ever seen. <laughs> that guy's my hero. So basically, the Google Maps was then rerouting all kinds of drivers around this little town because as far as it knew it and was, as far as its AI knew, there was a massive traffic jam for whatever reason. Hence bringing down the traffic. It was it's, hilarious. It, it was, and it's, it, God, that is so cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, yeah, I did see that story. It was this one. And this they were, Google and, Maps and the, the, what was it? The, the guy had rented the phones. Um, he didn't even like pay for the service. It was like the, the super cheap thing that he did and, and totally disrupted the whole town. It was great. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. But you know, you know, 15 years later, I noticed now people, people are able to do these things, but let's not, despite the fact that that, that was a pretty sweet hack, let's not downgrade, <laughs> let's not downgrade the fact that like Google Maps has significantly changed traffic patterns. It's, it's it being incorporated with like Lyft and Uber. Yep. I mean, the ability to, the only thing that they haven't done yet is like, you know, Grubhub integration and stuff like that. It's really just, it's, 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 it's a phenomenal app and I am it glad is. it exists. I use it. You know what? I work 13 miles away from my house. I use it to figure out which way is the best way to get my, from my house to work today. Right. And it works. At least I put my, I, I don't know, maybe it doesn't work overall, but <laughs> I think it does. And I put my trust into it. And you know what? Even if. It hasn't driven you off the uh, PCH yet, right? I mean. So no, no, go. not yeah. yet. I, I haven't driven into the ocean. <laughs> but, but, you know, one of the things I think gets lost in the whole idea is it's not even about the minutes that it saves on your commute. Sometimes it's about just giving you the peace of mind that I'm trusting in this thing and I don't need to worry about whether I'm getting to work the fastest absolute possible time. You know, I think it gives people a little bit more of a way to relax and just kind of you know, chill out and realize, okay, you know what? This isn't the most important thing of the day. Yes. Google is not all bad. It is not evil. You hear that, Ryan Burgett? <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. yeah I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, you know, I'm a fanboy for Google. I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a growing fanboy for Microsoft. Um, Amazon is literally life. And so to me, um, I just don't, and, and Facebook to me is this necessary utility. Um, Twitter is a dumpster fire that I enjoy. And so it's, yeah, these things have, have been great. And like, I am glad that looking under the kimono of Google and seeing that like, yeah, we have other revenue streams. Granted, they still get a vast majority of the revenue from advertising. Um, oh yeah, but yeah. at the very least, you know that like they have 
two to three other viable businesses going forward. Yep. And then, well, they got my $10 a month. And they, they get my $10 a month, too, for Google Music and YouTube. And they, they keep trying to push YouTube Music on me. I don't really care for YouTube Music. I, I have Google Music. I'm fine. Right? Yeah, I don't understand I that. I don't understand that either. And we're probably going to pay for more storage going forward because it, it's been brought to my attention by the wife that we need to, like, start archiving things. And so between <laughs> my hard drive and, and like, a cloud solution, which I, it may span across three different services to be blunt right i mean i aw um amazon s3 uh i think you get it you know as part of the prime membership I, I think you get some storage as well as the fact like eh, i need some more you know google photos and i may just pay them you know 10 bucks some five to 10 bucks a month just to have you know terabytes of storage up in the cloud yeah um and yeah. of course my hard drive um which you know i i need to you do a better job of making sure I keep the uh, the USB interfaces up to date, but um, without having to hunt down some random obscure cable. Thanks, Seagate. And so, yeah, it's, you know, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I embrace my AI woke overlords. So <laughs> that said, speaking of AI, uh, so I want to get into a broader discussion about AI and medicine. So um, turning to the story here in Engadget about an AI-formulated medicine to be tested on humans for the first time, it took less than a year to develop the drug, which is designed to treat OCD. So there's a, uh, there's a drug designed entirely by, an artific by artificial intelligence is, uh, is about to enter clinical human trials for the first time. So let's put this in perspective, right? It, the fact that it took a year to find this formulation for OCD. And the fact that we've moved from that through in vitro, in silico, in vitro to human trials in a year is, a, is, is huge. Um, yeah. The Oxford-based biotech company called Excientia, if I'm even pronouncing that right, um, is, uh, the, looks is the- good to me. Yeah, yeah, is the developer of the drug. Um, while it usually takes four and a half years to get a drug to this stage of development, this company says that by using AI tools, it took it 12 months. The drug, known as DSP-1181, it's catchy, um, was, was created by using algorithms to sift through potential compounds, which is essentially what they do. And... Um, Checking them against a huge database of parameters, including patient genetic factors and blah, 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 blah. So basically, like, it's, it's taking these molecules and compounds, uh, moving them across numerous hyperparameters. I'm, I'm curious whether or not they used a, uh, a, a, deep, a deep neural network, if they used inference, if they used other kind of, kind of weird methods that I'm kind of that of drawing a blank as to what they do but there's tons of techniques lstm and all kinds of stuff i wonder what technique they actually used um i didn't really have the time to do it i just wanted to, to delve deep into it because then i was gonna nerd out um so this is a big deal i mean of course there's the um, requisite um, apprehension about the article um, you know, about its ability, about AI's ability to diagnose illness and analyze patient data. Um, we have to deal with HIPAA nonsense um, in order to do that. And 
it's going to be very, very hard in the future to come up with these things. But if we want the personalized medicine that we hope to enjoy, imagine if there were much more computing power, better algorithms, more data sets, we could get the custom medicines that we desire that are tailored to our needs. Um, now, this, now I'm, I'm going, you know, pie sky type stuff, but this is a big deal. Um, this saves hundreds of millions of dollars. This saves um, probably tens of thousands of man hours. This saves right. uh, tons of time. It moves. Now, granted, the clinical trials process is slowed down by this thing called people and government. But if we can, at the back, at the front end, squeeze that time down. And, you know, maybe in the future, you know, hope springs eternal that maybe the FDA doesn't become the log, the bottleneck that it has that's killing people. And I said that I say that straight up. Um, this is this is good. Um, how do you how do you, though? I mean. Here, here, here's my conundrum with some of this stuff, though, is how do you get enough data, real world data, right? Uh, of, and, and you see, I work in the world of auto finance. So I work in the world of credit data and, um, and this sort of thing. And, and, you know, one of the big things that you have to do is you have to develop models that are based on real world data of credit. In my world, it's credit scores, it's credit payment histories, uh, account histories, this sort of thing. And in order to develop real models so that you can do pricing that makes sense in whatever the market is right now, uh, you have to use that real data. So how do you get enough real data, real patient data, real diagnosis data to lay these AI algorithms against to come to uh, real uh, potentially effective conclusions without, I mean, without all the consent that you need from, you know, under HIPAA and um, whatever other compliance rules are in place, you know, this is a weird challenge, right? There are a couple methods for doing that. Um, first and foremost is our regulatory framework has to change so that that consent can be, be can be given and that it controls pl- put into place to anonymize as best as possible the data that exists. We also right. have to get people over the hump when it comes to privacy, which people don't like hearing, but that is what it is. That's one method. The second method is the fact is you can synthetically generate this data. So there are many, many papers, or at least abstract of papers I've read, where one can take a very small data set and then use it to produce a synthetic data set, then build a what is called a uh, adversarial neural network to torment the synthetic data so that then the synthetic data then becomes much more reliable. Um, those, mm-hmm. These are called GANs. Um, I forgot what the G stands for. 
Um, and so there's a cottage industry and there's a nascent industry and it's growing where a, the algorithms will need less data or the models will need less data to learn and infer what data they, what additional data they will need can be synthetically generated and one can then uh, interrogate that data to make it much more precise and much more um, and uh, basically analog to real world data. And then like a, to go back to what I first said, we have to just change the cultural and regulatory paradigm for allowing that data to be done and to give people peace of mind via either governmental controls because people love the state or some sort of technical control that then anonymizes that data so that it becomes useful. All these are very hard problems to do. The yeah, synthetic data, the synthetic data part is is, really. is 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 sus is suspect because it's synthetically generated. Um, yeah, and that's the other part of it, right? Is is uh, okay? Yeah, we can protect people's privacy and everything by generating this synthetic data, but then how do you get the regulatory bodies to accept that? Uh, the model is, that the model is genuine and stuff like that. That it's good enough. That it's to good enough. Actually, make some real world decisions on. That's tough. That will be tough, and I'm 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 not saying it'll happen right away. Because like, I don't think it'll I think it'll be a long time before it happens. Um, yeah. I know a lot of the autonomous vehicles companies, a lot, particularly Tesla, but a lot of them actually build these synthetic environments in these simulated environments. So basically. There's literally a, an industry, right, a sector of AI and machine learning where you literally build video games for models to learn. And then you then mm. extrapolate what that model learned in this basically video game environment. And then you apply it to the real world. And then you deal with the deltas between the two. Um, a lot of this is synthetic data, right? Because that's essentially what a video game environment is. Right. So if one is to extrapolate that theory and move it out to like, all right, well, then what type of compounds do we need? Is that a valid compound? And is it on this type of patient that has this type of genetic profile or this type of, um, you know, microbiome or, or whatever? That's how you do it. Um, you, using GANs against synthetic and real-world data, then getting more access to real-world data See, because these neural networks that fight each other to basically make each other better, these adversarial networks essentially, are a, a basically a key component in what will make models better. And so, yeah, it, it can get real deep. I can get real nerdy on this stuff because I, you know, I know NVIDIA has done crazy things where they've generated faces and like scenery that doesn't exist in the real world or yeah. even video that doesn't exist in the real world that looks like slightly pixelated video, but it's completely synthetic and how it was generated. Um, and so that stuff exists and yeah, the regulatory part, the regulatory part and the, and, and the kind of the, the cultural acceptance of AIs supplementing your doctor or any type of nurse practitioner or whatever medical professional is that's that's going to be the hardest part. Um, right. The technologies will get there long before people say, eh, I think this is cool, right? I mean, same thing with Google 
Think about it. Google Maps is tracking you, right? The only reason they're tracking your phone in particular, right? As the oh, hack, yeah. as the hack from the guy shows, we're much more comfortable with that now because what do we get for that? I get, I get routed to a quicker route, or I know what Popeyes to go to at what time so I can get my chicken sandwich, right? Based on foot traffic, based on phones. Do you have multiple Popeyes where you are? Um. I don't in, even have one in, next in Albuquerque. Me. There's two, but they're on opposite ends of the city. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's one on base, but there's no chicken sandwich on base, right? Uh, and, and this is th- th- uh, this one on base is notorious for running out of chicken during lunchtime. It's not the best run, Popeyes. But I digress. Uh. <laughs> more <laughs> in AI and more AI news. Um, speaking of the coronavirus again, um, so Baidu, which is basically the, the tech giant in China, that is basically the Google equivalent, has unleashed something by the name of Linear Fold. Um, so Linear Fold um, is a kind of a, uh, what is it? <clears throat> Let me see if I can understand this right. A linear time approximated RNA folding um, by five by five to three dynamic programming and beam search. So basically it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a very rudimentary uh, machine learning algorithm for searching um, these spaces for how these RNAs fold and it I don't know it's it got real deep to me and then they were talking about like polynomial time versus linear time versus exponential time I, I, that's that's the computer science stuff that always punched me in the throat so basically it's like O of n O of n raised to the power of two and then O of n raised to the power of x or whatever like that so basically it takes something that takes that's takes a long time to suss out right and and this example they gave for a sequence of approximately ten thousand uh nucleotides such as the hiv genome uh linear fold takes only eight seconds of runtime while the baseline takes four minutes so it's a, that's a it is a exponential speed up i think right not a linear speed up so it takes sure. something that's exponential and makes it a linear um speed up so yeah linear fold is is something that they're using to help you know really figure out this all the variations <coughs> of, of the uh con- coronavirus um and you know in, in in response to this like i said baidu just allowed it pretty much open source this linear fold algorithm um, you know, it's to significantly accelerate the prediction time of a virus's RNA secondary structure, affording frontline researchers an opportunity to better understand the virus and developing target vaccines in a time in ta- in a time of crisis. So, this is going to help in the vaccine um, production, or at the very least, discovering like what would be the optimum way to interfere with basically these. Uh, the RNA structures of these these viruses, and so it's it's pretty dope, right? Um, again, AI in medicine. With that said, Microsoft is stepping into the game once again. Our our, I guess you can you call it our favorite company or our second favorite? I think my favorite, our, uh, our favorite company. I think it's our favorite. Probably company. up there. I I think I use them more than Google still. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I think. Well, I mean, I don't use them nearly as much. Um, than as Google, but like I mean, I, I, I like I said, I find that their their products are firing on all cylinders. 
Um, yeah. So they take the wraps off of Microsoft takes the wrap off of its forty million dollar AI for health initiative. So um, you know when the is it, when the topic of Microsoft and global health overlap. One tends to think about the Gates Foundation, but the company itself is doing good work along these lines. Its latest AI for Health effort, a $40 million five-year outgrowth of Microsoft's AI for Good program um, that aims to help apply the benefits of AI with an eye toward bettering health for the less fortunate around the world. So we're, I, I think this is a good initiative. Um, the Microsoft for Good program does a lot of really cool things. I listened to a Microsoft produced and sponsored podcast that talks to a lot of its researchers around the world when it de- dealing with AI. Um, and yeah, they're, they're trying to do good things. And I think this is just something else that gives Microsoft goodwill. And I think that um, their immense computational power, brain power, and other things to kind of attack these kind of things, um, particularly trying to integrate in the global healthcare system, more artificial intelligence, or at the very least, the lower level, more machine learning to do the things we had talked about when we, we talked mm. about the company designing the OCD medicine. So, I mean, this is, you know, AI and medicine is a big thing. Like Microsoft uses AI to diagnose cervical cancer faster in India. So here's to answer your question about where do we get the data? Here's, right. And let me be, let me be cold. Let me be mean, and let me scare people to death. The place we're going to get the most real world data will be the third world where they do not have such HIPAA protections. Yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> right. Like you're right. The, the, here's so here's the positive and the negatives about that. The positives are between India and China. Who doesn't give a damn about their citizens <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and are willing to partner with whoever to i mean for the love of god like facial recognition and and models and ai will probably get better as they apply more of these technologies to sequestering descent in well Hong it goes Kong. back to what we were talking about last week you know with with just general pro technical progress in general environmental rules are not going to stop India. They're not going to stop China in the same way. We're, we're talking about data, right. And, and uh, being able to collect useful data to generate these models. It's the same, the same thing. They, they couldn't care less about what the world thinks we should have access to. They're just going to have access to it. Let's be blunt. Privacy is a first world problem. It is. Yep. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I appreciate absolutely. it. I like it. I like to hold on to as much of it as possible. But it really, it's a, <laughs> it, we are speaking from a position of privilege. It's a first world problem. Yep. Um, and if you want to evenly distribute the, uh, the benefits of AI and healthcare and, and, and health treatment and treating disease, eliminating diseases, you're going to have to take that privacy. You're going to have to take your privacy proclivities and leave them in the West if you're going to go to these countries and do these things. These are where our data sets are going to come from. The, yeah, these, are where, yeah. the, these are where our, we will train our models. These are where we will hone 
adversarially our synthetic data for our training our models. And that's what's going to happen. I know. Yeah. It's gross. Um, it, well, it is, but is it? I mean, I... I only because of consent. You talk about it. Right. And like, you, you know, our, 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 pre, our, our predisposition to like give people consent to what's being done with their data. But like, yeah, yeah. Remember, I'm not a big fan of this. It's my data, whatever. It's like, well, the moment you, that data is taken in and an algorithm is used to make my search better, my commute a little better. Is it really your data? Because it's been transformed at that point. It's been it's been transformed. But maybe the source material is yours, and that maybe there needs to be some mechanism that exists that isn't regulatory, that is market based, that allows certain access to that data. But once one has acquiesced to that, it's no longer yours because it's been transformed. I, agree. I would agree with that statement. I mean, once it's transformed, or or once once a process that a company has developed has been applied to it it's uh, you, you, your done. data becomes metadata to the Correct. data that they've just created now right. maybe that's a controversial statement and maybe you know everyone will hit me and yell at me oh it is i mean I, you know i deal with uh data security audits all the time and you know experian is one of the biggest pushers that I deal with of, of ensuring that I can't even use anonymized data that has been sourced from Experian provided data, you know, mm -hmm. even though there is no way possible mathematically or otherwise to reverse engineer it back to the original data. Sorry, it's been sourced from this data set. You can't use it. And therefore you're stuck. And thus my question earlier, you know, of the challenge, how do we get useful data sets? And I guess we're going to have to just make them up <laughs> That's the <laughs> or, or get them from the third part. Uh, the third yeah, world. Either get them from the third world or in, or source our synthetic data sets with disparate data sets and data from the third world. Right. It, I mean, that's really what it is. And There's like I no said, other way. The, I mean, the big push at, um, NERPS uh, this past year at the end of the year was the fact that like they want models that require less data to be trained because if it's less data if it uses less data to be trained and it, and it is doing a little bit more actual learning reinforcement learning based on that then it doesn't necessarily need a lot of it doesn't need a lot of data and it doesn't need a lot of energy right because yeah. they, that's, the, that's the thing they're trying to do. They're trying to train these giant models with less data. And they're also doing um, other techniques to like reduce the precision of said data to train these models because they want to put these models on edge devices like, you know, microcontrollers or your, you know, Nest thermostats or whatever yeah, we come up yeah. with in the future where it needs to do inference at the front end before it uploads it you you know the data back to the the big the big AI big iron AI servers, right? It can do stuff on the edges and stuff. And so, for order to do that, the data needs to be it's going to be sparse, and it needs to be uh, compressed, and it needs to work. And so, all these techniques are going to be have to brought to bear to like build these things. The question right. then comes out like once we've sussed that out and we kind of know what we need to do, as we go back to you know what we said before. 
the regulatory framework will need to be there and the cultural framework will need to be accepting of it. And it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. So with that, I mean, I'm, you know, my love affair with AI is, 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 is always deep. I guess, do we want to approach this? Because we were kind of debating we should do this last one, this last topic. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it, you know what? It's almost candy, really. It, yeah, I am, <laughs> I am ready to lay into this one because it's absolutely. Someone's got to say something. It's back one well it's, it's, it's preposterous. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't. It's stupid. It is, it is unhinged. It, okay. Yeah. We'll do it. For, okay, do for, it. for our ten give us the give us the high level and then we'll just so this is from I, uh, physics world um on the 5th of uh, february and it was it's under its ethics and opinion and reviews right so now going into it we have some context towards a quantum advantage so for those of you who don't know i am a quantum computing nerd not that i can necessarily program them not that I even really understand the underlying physics of them, but it's very, its possibilities are, are awesome because of its new paradigm in computation. And there are um, exponential and um, like speed ups if one were to achieve quantum advantage and quantum supremacy. Now. Oh. Yes. Yes. Oh. Did, I tr- did, I tr- you, did I trigger you, wait. Gary? Did I trigger you? Uh. I feel I feel very uncomfortable right now. So these people who came up with this, I, I can't pronounce any of their names. They're all foreign. They're all foreigners and they got funny names. I can't pronounce them. <laughs> um, but these people argue that the term quantum supremacy should be replaced in favor of one that is more responsible. Huh? responsible so here's the deal right there's two ways you re- when i read this and knowing what i know about this topic more responsible can mean a couple of things we will ultimately tell you what they're referring to but what i see when i when i think of when i see that statement is we shouldn't be so quick to use the word quantum supremacy when it computationally and architecturally may not be any better or superior than any supercomputer or supercomputer to be built in existence. And this is is exactly what we talked about uh, several weeks ago when, you know, uh, Google announced it had achieved quantum supremacy, correct? Correct. IBM then pushed back and said no. The actual right. the, the actual terminology is really it has a quantum advantage over right. conventional over what over the summit supercomputer right and I and I kind of agreed with that sentiment because you know the the supremacy that they had declared was based on a very extremely specific yes. computational problem mm-hmm. that really had no practical use in the real world correct I I agreed with that. This physics world article threw me over the edge with its reasoning for wanting to, I I hated this. I read it. I was like, okay, you know, I saw this real cute graphic of, you know, lights and waves and stuff. And then I started reading it and I just about fell off my chair. 
<laughs> I just about I I so I don't, I don't mean to bogart your uh, no, your no, thing, no, this no, is, no 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 this is please go have this, at it Gary this is <laughs> this is so I was I was okay with the the title I said okay yeah I get it we you know quantum supremacy is a bold bold statement and we should probably very be very careful or as you said responsible about using that statement in proclaiming from a technical standpoint that yes we have from a technical supremacy. standpoint that is exactly what i'm trying to yeah that's exactly what i said yes from a technical standpoint. however Come at the end of this very first sentence the uh i'll read this sentence to you the results sparked optimism about the future of quantum computing but something was missing in the debate that followed and this is where i just lost my my mind <laughs> namely the uncomfortable association with the term white supremacy you gotta be kidding me we, we remember we discussed this a couple of weeks back so like for some background on it like this concept of quantum supremacy from long before it now has this problematic <laughs> now problematic. long before it became problematic this was a <laughs> a theoretical physicist by the name of john preskill who writes from uh from from caltech just brilliant dude he's written a book on quantum computation quantum information science coined the term in 2012 and it was introduced to represent the ability of a quantum computer to solve problems faster than a conventional supercomputer that's what it meant technical very, very technical th very technical very exact right quantum advantage is there's there's actually a, a roadmap out there right and there there's uh where there's quantum enabled which is basically like all right we we use quantum effects and we can kind of do a computation quantum advantage wow we can do this very specific problem on this piece of hardware architected hardware and implement this very specific algorithm and it will it beats the pants off of a supercomputer, which we learned yeah. last year in October. Clearly has an advantage. And right? supremacy is basically like there's no there's no hardware we could build currently that would be able to do the problems, these MP hard problems on this, whatever. That's what it meant. That sentence you read at the end where we now, language matters, using a problematic term while ignoring its historical context can be dangerous. Wait, what? Eight years ago, this wasn't an issue. <laughs> this wasn't a problem at all. And, and you know, it, the ironic thing that, that I, I, every time I see these, and we see them all the time, you know, it, in this day of woke society, you see it all the time. You know, people get worried so much about the word that they're so careful. And it's usually, I'm going to say it, it's usually the white knight uh woke people who who are trying to look out for other people who of people uh, the disadvantaged people of blah 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 I have a great I have a great story about my uh my wife went to school with a man from uh Africa okay he came here from Africa and he told her on many occasions in his African accent, you know, why do people call me African-American? I am not African-American. I am African. 
Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. My cousins say that all the time. And, <laughs> and, you know, that to me back, you know, this was 25 years ago. It struck a chord with me. It's like, okay, you know what? Why are we trying to be so careful when we're being insensitive at the same time? This is stupid. We need to stop it and we need to look at the words we're using and look at, okay, is the context correct? Is this accurate use of the word to describe what we're talking about? Quantum supremacy in this context is the appropriate word. Right. Until such, they may come up with something different. Um, they inevitably will, unfortunately. Um, because the word supremacy, as, as I'm quoting the article, is often used to signify an ideology in which one social group dominates another. And but it has as an nothing analysis to do with like, social group. This it, 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 yes, this is a very technical term. <laughs> it, it might have been a little sensational, right? But that was the point in 2012 when they came up with it. It's hyperbolic, to be sure. That's but true. it's hyperbolic I, from yeah, a technical yeah. standpoint. It's not associated with the word white. It's not associated with the word black. It's associated with nothing. It is, it is it there is, to illustrate it is a, that this technology yes, has an, a supreme advantage. Yeah, right, right. Um, it drives and, me nuts. And, and so they hope to switch this term. Um, from quantum uh, supremacy, um, makes me want to use it more. Yeah, make it, 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 that, 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 that's, that's what they don't understand. Like the Streisand effect is a thing. Um, so this is yeah. That, this, this, is, I mean, this 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 toward woke science nonsense. This this knee jerk reaction to protect to infantilize people who may. Um, draw offense to the word simply because they've been conditioned by government schools to think of the word that way is mm -hmm. silly. Um, it's, it's really silly. Right. Like, and then, and then what happens is people then, it's, it, people didn't put onto this issue, all these other things like discrimination and harassment and science due to race or gender is well documented. It's like, wait a minute, what the hell does that have to do with? No, what, what they do is with that. The, so the, because the word is there, because the word is triggering, now they're going to put all the ills of the scientific community onto this word. Well, and you know, and you know what the, the, the really funny thing is, is they, they, they call out this very specific uh, offensive use of the word, and I'm gonna give them, uh, you know, a little bit of a break in saying yes. There are offensive uses of the word. Great, but when you call out this one specific use, and you basically say this is the only use that matters, now you've actually opened the door to say this word can mean anything you want it to mean, as long as it's offensive. And the ultimate you know, pull quote as to why this is an issue now. Due to the political events in the past few years, the ideology has spread throughout Europe, and Europe, the U.S., and other parts of the world, exacerbating discomfort with the term in the scientific community. Oh God. Literally, it's, it's literally about <laughs> Trump. 
I mean, it that's is. what you're saying. That's what you're saying in that, like, in the past few years, the ideology has spread throughout Europe. And no, it's populism. You don't, that's, that's one thing the scientific community, because they're so woke, because they're the learned among us and they know better than us, they do not, they are the intelligentsia. They are the, I hate using the word because I'm one of them, but I don't profess their progressive ideology. They're globalists. Yeah, and they are. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, that's, that's, that's your problem if you think that it's become problematic in the last few years. It's only insulted your sensibilities in the last few years. It has nothing oh, to- I love this. I, I love this. If the term quantum supremacy makes a single individual feel marginalized, then it is worth changing it. That's that typical- not one more child yes. mentality. Yeah, like yeah, the same um, weapon no, they use I, where I'm, they use children as human shields. If this just yeah. helps one child, it's just like, yeah, but it might kill millions of people. But if it just helps one child, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> yeah. It's, they, 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 this, this weird use of aggregate versus individual. It, it, I don't understand this. It's almost a paradox, really, when you think about it, the way that some of these groups use this logic, you know, if only one life is saved, then it's worth taking away the freedoms of every, you know, and I'm getting way off topic here, you know, on right. the most probably um, explosive of them, you know, if you want to talk gun control or whatever, <clears throat> Oh, if only one single life is saved, we should be we should take away all the guns from everybody in the world. Okay. Well, or if I see one problematic tweet from somebody, then that person should be banned or shadow banned. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. This whole uh, cancel culture, right? Right. And, and uh, using and weaponization of social media as uh, as in the arsenal of the cancel culture. Um, right. And and I. I understand being more inclusive, right? But I mean, look, man, who's really upset about this? I, I don't think I don't think it's the scientific community in other parts of the world. I think it's just the scientific community in the West. A West that has seen people basically look at their talks about climate change and be like, eh, not a big deal. That doesn't I would be curious. I really would be curious to know how much of the scientific community really is bothered by this. I mean, not I as, can't not as, imagine it's, it's not. A, it's a vocal minority. That's yeah. what, it, and that's what it is. We are ruled by the material by the tyranny of a vocal minority. That's true. Um, now, granted, are they going to continue to do good work? I hope. I hope that this um, this insanity doesn't like pollute their ability to do the work that needs to be done in this field. I, I hope that the, what they ultimately hope to get out of this by making it more inclusive or making a, a, using a less problematic word will bring in more people who seem to be snowflakes and get triggered easily about dumb stuff um, into the community and hopefully contribute to quantum computing as a field. But I just see this as a very worrying, worrying trend that we're starting yeah. to let a lot of this social justice malaise and nonsense just creep into the areas that were, were safe spaces for me 10, 10 years ago. And yeah, now it's nuts. are not. 
Right. Well, like you said, like you said earlier, I mean, you, there's there's a level of humanity to be had. Again, if I use a word, and if the person I'm speaking with has a problem with because they've been hurt by it or whatever, I use the word I use I, I use the word rape a lot to talk about how money is being stolen from me, you know, which is a legitimate use of the word. Mm-hmm. You, you're violated. You're talking, being violated. But if I'm talking with somebody who has been a victim of it, then you and can, they tell me, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm not going to just use that word and just constantly shove it in their face. Cause that's just inhuman and, and, and mean, right? Yeah. I just um, hope this, there's not a bunch of tone policing that, basically turns the majority male and majority yeah yeah majority male culture of these scientific you know endeavors it i hope it doesn't turn them into like you know alt writers right this is a reactionary movement um that exists for the very same reason that we have the globalism and populism the anti-globalism and populism that has risen over the last five years yeah and it's reactionary movements and i i I just i just feel really really bad because i think we're we're while I, i i appreciate being much more socially conscious when it comes to ai when it comes to the terms we use in quantum computation the uh you know, other areas that are that are of, of of very importance to the the more woke left tech media. Let's not lose sight of you know that I mean there there are bigger, more important issues to solve than like shielding people's feelings from a a word like supremacy. Yeah, it's silly. Um, yeah, this yeah, yeah and, I, and and there's there's something to be said for bringing back some some reason i mean there's no counter to this argument right that, and that's part of the problem is as soon as someone comes up with this immediately the the uh, damage control people come in and the pr people come in and they're like oh my god we got to shut this we got to change this we got to do this it's like wait a minute why why isn't there any pushback to say hold on let's look at the context of this this is a reasonable use of this i don't think we need to change what we're doing in this case, just because somebody connected, you know, six degrees of separation of offense to this word, you know, and maybe that's what we need is we need some sort of pushback to say, hold on, that's absolutely not what we meant. Let's not get ridiculous. Let's focus. We're talking about quantum supremacy, not white supremacy. Yeah. And like I said, they just kind of put all their anxieties and stuff into this one issue and yeah. I, and, and i and i i think at a certain point and maybe this battle's lost someone needs to just put their foot down and be like no shut up this is fine um right. and but i don't that's think, my point i don't think we'll that's see my it. point yeah right. yeah i don't think we'll see it i I'm, hope so i mean i i do it when i can but again you know you have to temper that with your immediate context Here's hoping, but yeah, I think yeah. we beat this to death enough because this is patently oh, absurd. We could go on yeah, oh, dude. On I mean, it, it, so if you want to find out more about this, call uh, go to quantumresponsibility.org if you want to <laughs> laugh some more. 
<laughs> no, I don't want to go there. <laughs> I think I'll pass. Yeah, hard pass, hard pass. All right, well, yep. with that said and done, that, that nonsense, not the end on a negative note. From a positive story about how AI is going to like save the world to, well, I don't know how much of the world we're going to save if people get triggered by like the word supremacy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so that said, uh, we're done, ladies and gents. So thank you for logging on to thank you for your servers. Anything else you want to say? I'm good now. I'm going to go and get a good night's sleep and uh, hopefully not get blown over by the winds tomorrow. And hopefully I have a snow day tomorrow, but I doubt it. But woohoo. Yeah. All right, guys. Later. <laughs> Take care. Bye.